1: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell.
3: Thanks and welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today with Shay Franco Claussen, who is a fierce and dynamic powerhouse who advocates tirelessly to empower, educate, and prepare the community to take their rightful seat at the decision-making table. Um, overcoming many adversaries and barriers growing up in the Bay Area, Shay engages her community with empathy and diligence with a person first or first person experience and serving on many boards and and commissions to create stronger, comprehensive legislation benefiting marginalized communities that she has proudly risen from. Um, She has a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's of arts in particular in public policy and law degree from Mills College. She's working on her executive leadership in state and local government. Um, at Hartford, uh, Hartford um, Kennedy School and has been instrumental in many legislative wins, campaigns, and initiatives in California. Her advocacy has led to the passing of SB 273 uh, that expanded the statutes of limitation on fel- felony domestic violence. She's protected over a uh, 1,000 acres of California's most threatened pieces of land in Coyote Valley, passed a Proposition 17 that... Restored voting rights for people on parole, working uh, to remove involuntary servitude from the California Constitution and is working on more and more and more. And she's serving as a co-chair for the National Black Justice Coalition, uh, Good Trouble Network, uh, Victory Fund Campaign Board and Black Leadership Caucus, adult uh, advisor for California High School Democrats. Alameda County Commission on the Status of Women and Courage California C4 Chair. And I love your quote. It says here, I'm just trying to be the woman I wish I could have met at 14. Wow, 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 wow. I love that, Shay. Thank you. And welcome to the show.
4: Thank you for having me. Can
3: you hear me good? You sound, I can. Good? Yeah, you yeah. sound great. Woohoo! I'm so grateful uh, that you could make it today, and um, and just share. So you're you're involved in so many different things. Um, just to kind of let the listening audience in. You know, over the last couple of months, as I've been getting to know Shay, there's been times where she's called me, and she's on her way to go pick up somebody from uh, that has just been released, a woman that's just been released from jail. With, with nothing but the clothes on her back. Um, and she's been a, a willing person that will go down and pick someone up when they're in um, their time of need. Also, uh, someone who is representing women um, at events and in and, and venues like mm-hmm. Women's Hall of Fame in Alameda County, um, uh, coming in and and be willing to sit on commissions and sit on boards and sit on in boardrooms to advocate for Oftentimes the woman, the woman of color, the survivor, um, who has not been seen, heard, or um understood. And so mm-hmm. I'm hoping today we can explore a little bit more of that as you know, with you as a lived experience expert and um and, and, and someone who has the heart for others. Um so Shay, tell us, tell us how did all of this why
4: why you why why are you why did you- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, you know what, it, it is always the question I always get like, why? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I pinpoint that statement, that quote that I say about myself, the age of 14, if I would have met someone like me, it would remove so many barriers that I had to go through the next 30 years. It would remove so many obstacles, so many, you know, abuse. It would just, re- it would remove so many things that would have helped me reach my goals a lot sooner. That is my why. That is mm-hmm. the impetus to why I always try to be in the room. Well, I always try to bring a lived experience respectfully to those people that have blind spots and really addressing, you know, oppression and the microaggressions that people with those experience ex- experience in government. Yeah. So having, having been a child of the system, and growing up, navigating those systems, graduate of CalWORKs, using EOPS when I first went to college, getting my GED, I know how much shame is in that and how much fear, Wow! but I know how powerful we can take that pain and turn it into power. So I think that's really what has me in these spaces.
3: Wow. You are such an inspiration, I mean, to go from that to getting your law degree from Mills. Did you ever imagine that you would be capable of such a
4: thing? Well, it's public policy, econ and law. So it's all into one. They go together. It's really important that, you know, the economics of the finances of our state, our local government, as well as understanding, just basic understanding of law. But public policy is is my center because that impacts you and I every day in every single thing that we do. Yeah. People who are in those positions. So and then moving on to Harvard, I was selected into a, a fellowship to do my executive leadership which I'm super excited. I have two more classes left um, mm. to complete because never in my wildest dreams, Yeah. You know what I've thought I've even have a GED. And right. To now to say that I went to Harvard is, is I hope that that's an example to those women that I work with in custody and a few good men that this yeah. is not the rest of their lives. That's right.
3: That's absolutely right. I think for me, I, sometimes I think back on those days um, when I didn't plan on living past 20 um, right. I thought it would be an amazing milestone to get, to make it to twenty. I, I I saw so many things that were going to take me out, and I was I was I was okay with it. I was like, you know, if I get there, I get there. And so to think back to now, uh, or think to you know think move forward and think about where I'm at now. Just never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would be able to. Who you know lived the life that I'm living much less help other people you know right that's the other thing I think sometimes um you you un you know you underestimate yourself and um you don't realize how valuable you are to the greater community huh
4: yeah, it's so true yeah many days i the milestone was eighteen mm-hmm. you know by the time I was fifteen i I've seen two people get murdered. I had to identify a friend's body. And people don't realize that type of trauma and, and that you're always in a fight or flight and you're trying to survive. People don't understand what that does to you and what it stops you from even developing. Because yeah. you're in a state, you're always in a state of fear and, and, and you're, you're always concerned about what's going to happen next that you don't get a chance to live in the moment.
5: Mm, yeah,
3: that hypervigilance. You just looking enjoy. around and anticipating this is gonna go bad. Let me do this instead, and then let me do that instead, instead of being yeah. in the moment and enjoying, you know, how many times have we gone places and not fully enjoyed where we were at, um, or needed to take a substance in order to mm-hmm. enjoy, feel like you could relax a little mm-hmm. because you're so used to something going bad when you go somewhere. So, so you, so you, so it's uh, much of what you do then was born out of your own personal experiences of, of being in foster care, of being, you know, experiencing a lot of these, these things that those that you serve experience firsthand.
4: Right in my home. I mean, I, I, I'm always careful because, you know, my, my mom is, she's a coping, she's coping with her addiction, even this late in her life. I don't know how fragile she is about this This truth of her. It doesn't mean I love her any less. I just have yeah. a deeper sense of understanding that her what she has gone through addiction and losing her kids and, you know, what that has done to her emotionally. Hmm. But I can tell you as someone living in it um, and there with the experience that I understand my mom went through, I have a little bit more understanding and compassion, but it has shaped me into figuring out how to navigate those systems. I yeah. didn't know nothing about politics, policy. I didn't all I knew is I was supposed to get the food stamps. I'm going to the store, get the wick, you know, I only knew the limited stuff that they provided for us. Yeah. And um growing up in, in that type of environment, yeah, I mean, you have no idea what you're experiencing at such a young age. You just don't. Yeah. And so just growing up with a parent like that, I feel like, um, it taught me also how to navigate for those parents that are experiencing it in the in custody right many of yeah. them are addicts they're, they're doing petty theft just to survive it, i just have a deeper sense of understanding because i lived through it to help them navigate systems and not shame them for making mistakes or not shame them but just continue to provide right before this i just spoke to somebody in custody it was like i need housing right now and i'm like all right give me till tomorrow call me back tomorrow you know yeah yeah and these, needs are the real.
3: They, these are real, yeah. real needs. It, it, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how um, people, you know, people, like you said, women, women of color, um, how, you know, we are disproportionately um, impacted by some of these issues, which then lead to, lead to crimes, lead to right. behaviors that you know, n- nobody wants to get involved, and I, I want to get your take and kind of uh, understand what your thoughts are on kind of that intersectionality and um, and how we can, you know, solve for that. So we'll we'll come right back. And thanks for listening. Yeah. To never fails radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit us dot com. That's us dot com. We'll be right back with more right after these messages where you will find peace in your daily life through the teachings of Jesus. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today with Shay Franco Clausen, who is again a fierce and dynamic powerhouse. She's just been sharing with us about her Bachelor's of Arts in Public Policy and Law um, a degree from Mills uh, Mills College, and uh, also working on uh, in, at Harvard Kennedy School uh, in, as part of a Executive Leadership Cohort. Um, just co-chairing National Black Justice Coalition, um, Victory Fund campaign work and Black Leadership Caucus, just so many various leadership um, uh, contributions to our world. And yet we learned in the first segment that it started in in a very terrible place um, in many ways, in in a broken place with addiction, with foster care, uh, with human trafficking. And, And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, Shay, you have shared with me that you are also a survivor of human trafficking and, uh, of CSEC is specifically commercially sexually a yeah. child. And, and, tell me about, um, without, you know, sh- sharing too much detail, just, you know, just whatever you're comfortable with, but you know, yeah. how, did that, how did that happen? And, you know, how does that happen to people around us every day?
4: You know, um, now I've done a lot of research around, you know, how this happens. And there's been a lot of shows and documentaries and movies to really kind of give people from the outside a good look on the inside of what it's like. It happens right in your neighborhood. Um I was just targeted a kid that was in a group home and nobody cared about. I was, I was beautiful. You know, I, I mm-hmm. still am beautiful. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I own it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just, you know, uh with no one to love me someone took an interest in me, someone older, him and his girlfriend took interest in me and really made me feel like they were my family. And I mean, it was a very long grooming process about maybe to me as a, as a you know, 12 year old, that long time is, you know, three weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it it seemed like a year. And, um, and, and that's how it gradually started is, oh, do me this favor, you know, I love you. Um, and it and it turned into a more progressive and it became a lot more violent um, as the process and I went to school every day, like no one understood or no one looked, no one was looking for me where I was after school, no one was looking for me on the weekends, mm-hmm. where I was just being consistently exploited, and I had no idea I'm too young to understand and have that uh that understanding what I was experiencing, considering I had already started my younger primary years in domestic violence homes with addiction, with abuse. So this is, I've been conditioned to think this was normal. So at 12, I didn't allow myself. I just became a victim of a system that really um, uh, thrives on young girls like myself, young black girls Mm -hmm. that are in the justice system, foster youth group homes, or just in, you know, poverty, poverty stricken communities where no one is looking for us. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, Just this past week, uh, Tanya Dennis, who runs Oakland Frontline Healers, and I co-authored an article that was in the um, Oakland Post. And it talked about how crack cocaine um, completely annihilated uh, the black community um, who was already so fragile and vulnerable and then basically um, set us up the way that it was being distributed and being produced. Um, in the community because, it, you know, the way, you know, cocaine would come down and then people would rock it up and with, you know, baking soda. And there would, it would, was actually being given to black men predominantly to, you know, cook up and distribute and Latino men and distribute in their neighborhoods. And, and initially it was, Hey, try a little bit of this for free, right. You get a little baby and then, um, and then you're hooked and and then you are easy prey for exploitation because you're willing to sell your body to get that next high that next hit, and so so many of our parents uh so I'm fifty, you know, I don't know if you're in my same you know age range, but so many of our parents i am <laughs> uh, got addicted to crack yep. cocaine. And mm-hmm. we found ourselves then in, you know, in these difficult foster homes and living with grandmas that didn't know, you know, or in
4: your home or in your
3: home, with your parent, and with your yeah. Baby. And all this is coming in and out, right? And so, um, so it sounds like mom had some addictions in your life, and that you know, eventually led to you being in foster care. And someone came in and prayed upon you and saw your vulnerability and. And that's all she wrote. Right. So how did you get out? How,
4: how, how? Honestly, I got out through, I had this situation that I was in. I actually wrote about it at Mills for the first time I ever said it out loud. was yeah. to talk about the this, this situation of where I was. Cause I had so much shame, yeah. so much shame around it. Um, I was able to escape a John's house and I only knew one phone number. It was my grandmother's so only number I knew. Mm. And so I called her and she had told my dad, you need to get your daughter wow. or she's going to end up dead. Mm. And so I went to go live with my dad once. And but he they all knew that I had this experience. So it was another part of shame where I was treated as I was like this slut. I was this, you know, promiscuous mm. young person. Yeah. When and I understand like my, my my dad didn't understand that. I know my stepmom didn't understand that. Um, as they went through their own violence and their own addiction, um, so from there, I mean, he gave me seventy-five dollars and just wished me well. And then I was homeless for a, a couple of weeks until I was able to connect with a friend uh, and, and get to my aunt's house where I could crash on different people's houses mm. um, for the next like two almost two years until I was able to secure housing on my own by working two jobs and I just quit school because I was like I I gotta have a place to live so I just worked two jobs and just worked my way up. I didn't even get my GED until 2000, um, 2006.
3: Wow. See that? Mm -hmm. It's just, you're so amazing. Wow. That's, I love it. Incredible. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you, there you were 2006, you got your GED. What, what
4: inspired you? What made you want to even do that? So I had worked my way to the top of a, a financial institution where I had worked for and Mm -hmm. I was getting a promotion and mm-hmm. when they were trying to give me a promotion they said you lied about having a high school diploma and i was like well we're here you're trying to promote me so i'm obviously doing a good job right i obviously have the skills and necessary to get the promotion what do i need to do in order to have this and they're like well no one's ever gave us a counter you know right. and i was like well if you're promoting me then i'm obviously qualified and skilled that yeah. gd or the education didn't matter to this point what do i need to do so my boss said if you can get a GED. So I went down that night to San Jose on Pearl Avenue, gave my $50, got my GED with high scores, which I proudly put up on the wall back here. Ooh, look at that. And um, (laughs) I mean, you guys can't see it, but it's in a beautiful frame. Um, And then I went back the next day and I was like, start processing my promotion. And so in, Wow. He said, the only way that I'll give this to you is if you promise to go to school and it's going to stop you from getting any higher in anything you want to do. And he's like, and for you, the sky's the limit. And that was it. I I enrolled in Long Beach College once I, once I got to L.A. Wow.
3: And or so I met you, my just, wife. Needed it. you needed <laughs> yeah. somebody to just see you, just mm-hmm. to, you know, see how brilliant you are and and and, and encourage you to take yourself seriously.
4: Yeah, just this old Texan, this old man from Texas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So funny. Well, I'm glad he encouraged
3: you to go big or go home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> go big with your career. That is amazing. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I actually want to talk about this whole um, uh, you know, notion of workforce development being a part of uh, you know casting dreams casting vision for people who have traditionally been told you can't you won't you never will uh, how powerful of a tool that can be in the transformation of a life so let's uh, take a quick break and we'll come right back thanks for listening to love never fails radio
1: to join in the fight for love visit love dot com don't go away love never fails radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors
5: That's pitchperfectpresentations.com. Pitchperfectpresentations.com.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are talking to Shay, who is just... Uh, doing so much for the community uh, to serve the underserved, under-resourced, just trying to be the woman she wished she would have met at 14. I love that. Uh, We have been talking about her life and how it maps to what she's doing today and in serving the community in a variety of ways. Um, One of the things that, um, you know, stood out to me in um, what you are doing, adult advisor for high school or high school democrats, um, Alameda County Commission on the Status of Women Encourage, California 4C chair. These many of these roles, you know, they seem like you're you're targeting youth or you're targeting women. You're targeting populations that um, maybe either because they're young, they 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 haven't been told as much uh, about or it it hasn't been a a point of discussion to talk about what are your dreams what are your hopes what's your vision for the future uh you know which seems odd because we do talk about it a lot but it's kind of a cliche but in some schools where you know where maybe they're more worried about whether you brought a gun to school today right, <laughs> right. Or, or you know are you are you going to jump somebody today the, the, these are the things that the teachers are thinking about and and I, by the way, I really feel for our teachers that are teaching in the inner city. You get mad props from me because um, it is hard work. I only have two. I have a 14 and a 15, I'm sorry, a 15 and a soon to be 16 home. If <laughs> I had 30 of those, I'd be thinking about somebody be out, right. check my pockets for a gun. No, no. Did I say that? <laughs> no, 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 no.
4: No, no no no, and PBS, I mean yes, don't come and get me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You know, it's but, it's funny that you say that. It's happening right now, just today yeah. we're at the Nashville shooting. Though,
3: Yeah. Oh gosh. I didn't even get a chance to read that. Um, but one of my colleagues sh- uh, shot me a text and said, Did you look at the news? Oh my gosh. Um it, it this is happening so frequent. Um mm-hmm. And I actually just taught a class. I'd love to get your take on this uh, over the weekend. Taught a class uh, last weekend um, uh, to youth at Allen Temple uh, Church in Oakland about social oh, yeah, media. Yeah, and we just talked about how you know the more time you're sitting on social media, the more depressed you're becoming, the more suicidal you're becoming. I'm not. I'm saying not to use social media. I use it too. But it just has a way of sucking you in and and you stripping away your humanity if you don't have those boundaries. Are these the kinds of things that you're talking about, you know, maybe in the Women's Commission or when you're talking with the high school student? Like, what are some of the themes that are kind of popping up for you as you're serving in your various capacities?
4: So I I do. I'm going to second you on the social media, even me as an adult. i get sucked into it right and and for the longest time you feel like you're trying to compete with people that are just they live their days making these videos like this is all they do they're not in the same realities we are and i always have to tell that to young people like don't let what you see online is law people are only showing you what they want you to see yeah And, and and don't build your life around that you know and and my son and our family, we just take the phones away and we just have to have no phones and we're having dinner or we're having game night. And um, I try to limit what my son can have. A, there's a limit on his phone. He's 17. Mm-hmm. So I think it's because I have to tell young people to build who they are. Don't let social media decide for you. Yeah. And your values aren't based on likes, you know? Yeah. And, and I had to show them. I said, do you see this post? That's like 50 people liked it. And I said, but let me show me how many people viewed it. 17,000, right? I said, you never know who's watching and it shouldn't really matter. Right. I said, cause I barely look at the, but I do have that conversation with about the social justice aspect of it, of how this social media does has a negative impact on how people perceive themselves. And it adds another barrier and a layer that they have to work through. It's unnecessary.
3: Yeah. I think uh, well, so for the listening audience, if you haven't watched Social Dilemma on Netflix, please do. Oh it, God, you watched it?
4: It's I watched it with my son.
3: Yeah, so good. And mm-hmm. and so the what I shared with the parents because I also tra- I tra- First, I did the youth uh, with Dr. Landon um, from EOIDC, and then I uh, then I we went over to the parents and we said, you know what, parents? We said it's not their fault. It's not their fault. As a matter of fact, it's not our fault, because like you said, we have our own addiction to it as well. And we are just as susceptible. If anything's going on in our life. If we're if we're feeling sad, if we're depressed, if something isn't going wrong and then we just want to numb out. This is a great way to. Numb out, right. It's another. It's another. Oh, my God. Thing.
4: Yes. and you get your dopamine hit, your serotonin, all that. Right. <laughs> Those I, cat videos get me every time. I can watch cat videos all day. <laughs> or scary ones. Yeah. I get I get caught on the ones where they're pretending that something's there. Oh my god, I just die when I watch those videos.
3: I know. And some anyways are, <laughs> they're funny. Um, the jokes. Um, some of them give you great tips, some of them are encouraging, but it's just the the, the, the sum of the whole. You you've gone three hours. And the little, you know, TikTok has a nerve to have a little thing that pops up that says, you've been scrolling for a long
4: time. Are you sure? Like, <laughs> are you serious? Oh, yeah, it does that. If you've been scrolling. Oh, I don't have TikTok. Like it. Yeah, it does
5: that. Uh, so, I learned. I, yeah. had it
4: for, I had it a month. And I was like, oh, this is oh, bad no, for business. I'm taking this out. <laughs> like, yeah. I deleted it. I was like, oh, this is bad for business. But are these things, you know, like, are, you know,
3: when you think about women's health, and the,
4: yeah.
3: are you t- are, 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 what kinds of things are being talked about in the women's you know, commission uh, or the uh, Alameda County Commission on the status of women?
4: So this is what I would say. So I came from Santa Clara County Commission, where I served there for eight years yeah. and been a part of this justice and advocacy program for more than that. And um, I've always had the focus on justice involved women. There, this alameda county commission is more focused on passing CDAW, which santa clara county did a long time ago and we were able to create so many other offices you know making sure that we have a gender lens now we have a you know gender responsive office there's um uh somebody there's office of women's policy gender rates violence we have all that in santa clara county where alameda county i mean they're they're light years behind what we've already done so Um, I'm actually hosting a retreat on April 29th. So I could just get them on a standard of like what our commission should be doing. Um, The board of supervisors have not been good here about making sure those commission seats are even full. Mm -hmm. I mean, holding up applications for six months to a year. So it's been kind of hard to get people who can commit to more than 20 hours a month who care about the, you know, the women and girls in this County. Um, So I'm hoping that I bring that wealth of experience and being able to, you know, um create budgets over 20 million dollars to impact women and girls here in Alameda County. I'm hoping that this as we change um Board of Sweeps they become more invested in women and girls because I think there's a huge you know shortfall of where they have forgotten and prioritized women as a whole. And mm-hmm. so we're we're doing that on the 29th. It's open to the public um, mm-hmm. because we have about six commission seats that are vacant. And um, that that doesn't give us a a wide range of voices for us to even navigate as making policy and funding decisions for this county. So there are a lot of people that can go to the board of supervisors. We have district four, district one. We have seats available. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to move them to really go into four spaces, one. Yes, passing CEDAW to put a gender-based lens on everything we do in this county. Two, creating a justice and advocacy so we can have a partnership with Santa Rita and the Sheriff's Department so that the most vulnerable women are women in custody, women in custody with kids, women in custody with addiction with kids. So I think they need to be a focus. And human trafficking. human. You know, Oakland and Atlanta are like the two homes of the most sex trafficking exploited workers in all of our nation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we can do a better job. Job, and I know some legislators that are very interested in this work. And finally, is that we need to build a pipeline and train the next set of commissioners. So I hope to bring a junior board together mm. of young commissioners in high school and college, yeah. so that they can be under us a mentorship. Because we should only sit in our seats for a certain time. We shouldn't sit in them forever. Yeah. We should be building the next group, the pipeline, the legacy work.
3: That's beautiful. Yeah, I um, oh, I love that you thought of the uh, junior board because lately i've I, that's sort of been my bend as i've i'm getting older i'm like okay who am i developing right take my my i mean I'm, I'm about 15 years away from you know pseudo retiring but i want that person to have at least 10 years of experience yes. under their you know belt that I can go, okay, you're, you're, you're ready. You're good to go, you know? So that's beautiful. Just in case you're not aware of what CEDA is, it's committee on the elimination of discrimination oh, yeah. against women. Uh, um, and you know, the kinds of things, um, it's, you know, the CEDA has been sort of inspired by United Nations, uh, initially and sort of made its way across, um, Uh, Commission's on the status of women uh, across the nation and so we'd love to get more um, of that highlighted because the kinds of things that happen. um, When you allow discrimination against women to happen is women begin to uh, they continue to be susceptible to violence, poverty, uh, lack of legal protections. Um, they're not able to um have right to their property. I mean, imagine I always like to tell people because people are like you know, if you're not in the middle of it, you don't really get it. It's like you're in a domestic violence situation and you're undocumented. But the but your heart is documented. And right. so you either stay and get beat and you and your kids get abused and beaten up, or you know, you have no right to any assets, you have no right to any um, you you can't say you have to get out of your house. I'm going to stay in in the house with me and the kids, right. and live in a hotel somewhere because you're not a citizen. So what do you yeah. do, right? So these these little situations, and one might say, well, you know, whose fault is that? Well, somebody's coming into another country and marrying somebody and bringing them over. Is that a mail order bride? Is that a you know, is that someone who is coerced <laughs> it? And like, what? Right. Right. Let's so there's a lot to this.
4: And we need to have people that say, you know what? that woman's life
3: is worth something.
4: So I every been- woman's right is worth something. That's right. Regardless of what they're experiencing. And I think that's what CEDAW does. If it's if it's, you can pass it, the implementation, how you implement it is the most important part. Yeah. It should have a gender lens on everything to indiscrimination and housing, social services, because there's a lot of institutional violence. A lot of these survivors have to experience going to the housing authority, going to social services, even going to some DV spaces. Mm. We, um, you know, just recently I did it with, an, with, you um, know, one of the young, uh, one of the young ladies who came out, I said, yeah. let's call two one one together. Mm-hmm. Do you know that I called and I spent about, Thirty minutes and we got nowhere, but passed to the next org that passed me on to the next org, and I'm like, can you imagine just getting out? You're in custody, and you're calling two one one for support when the rehabilitation officer isn't helping you. Right. It was the most deflating. Thank God I had influence where I was able to a text message away to get her housing. Right. But not everyone has that access. Right. And so we need. To, I think we also need to critique ourselves to improve in order to make sure we're serving women right now in 2023 the way they need to be served.
3: Yes, absolutely. Okay, we got to take a quick break. Oh, so much to talk about. Okay, we'll we'll be <laughs> back and thank you for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com. We'll be right back with more right after these messages.
2: Trash bills weighing you down? At Case Industries, we specialize in lowering waste costs and providing trash consolidation and compaction services for multifamily properties, condos, and commercial shopping centers. Let us help you reduce operating expenses and increase property NOI. Case Industries, saving the planet, saving you money. Contact us today for a property trash and recycling assessment online at CaseIndustries.us or call 510-566-4223. That's CaseIndustries.us or call 510-566-4223. Case Industries, the property manager's friend.
3: Hi, I'm Sandra Herrera, CEO of Case Industries. I've found that many employers are looking for ways to help the community but don't know how. I encourage you to consider supporting Love Never Fails as a corporate sponsor.
1: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We, again, are in the studio with Shay, and we're just talking about how, you know, what are some of the themes, what are what's going on in the various communities that she's uh, participating in and are leading. And so, um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about kind of the framework that you'd like to see over at um, the uh, Alameda County Commission on the Status of Women. What are some of the things that you're seeing thematically when you talk about the National Black Justice Coalition, the Good Trouble Network? What are some some themes there that you're you're noticing?
4: Well, what we notice about the, the National, let me explain, the National Black Justice Coalition is an organization that uh, focuses on black LGBT um, elected officials. Oh. And so that's just another lens that I have. The Victory Fund is also an international um LGBT pact that supports candidates that are LGBT identified. But the framework of in which of this conversation where it's relevant is through my commission work, my work with junior league. Um, like I have I wear many hats, right? I, yes. I care about all things. Yeah. Because when I'm in custody, I want to think about the environment they live in. I want mm-hmm. to make sure that we're identifying people they with the way they want to be identified. We're meeting their needs. Are they parents? Are they survivors? Are they transitioning? Are mm-hmm. they in the right are they in the right housing? And yeah. so the themes that I'm seeing um, throughout my work is this lack of really seeing a whole person and making sure we're addressing their needs. The number one priority that I think that all the counties should be thinking about as they build affordable housing or transitional housing is the way that you sustain a woman out of custody is with permanent housing. Mm. They will go through three sets of housing from the shelter to the transition into trying to find something with a voucher that no one will take. So then you then she is now back living house to house trying to use the voucher and then she has no resources. She'll do some petty theft that will violate her and get her right back in custody. Right. And then that her chances of getting her children back are eliminated. Her chances of sustaining that housing voucher is now removed. So housing is something that is the one thing that we can agree across the board. That everyone in that are in our justice system are the most vulnerable, uh, you know, most marginalized can all benefit from is if we have a collective conversation an intergovernmental conversation, a, you know, a CBO conversation to really talk about if we're talking about addressing the housing needs of the most vulnerable, we should start with those in custody.
3: Yes, absolutely. So uh, as you you know this, that uh, we just got our license to be in Transitional age youth, uh, AB 12 housing provider um, throughout California, which
5: is
4: exciting
3: Um, for you. Yeah. So we just have a couple of um, background check things that we're trying to clear up, but um, we'll be hopefully our hope, our target date to actually open our doors. And we have our first young lady all ready to come over is uh, is uh, April 15th. So that's our hope. Um, And then, of course, we're we we're, we, we cleared our fire, fire clearance and everything else for our incarcerated men home when we hope to have that open on April the 1st. So nice those, those populations, to your point, um, what I have noticed is like, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to let people go out of my house until they have somewhere good to go to. Like, I I refuse to be that kind of program that goes, oh, no, you timed out. No, you, I, we'll have to figure it out. We'll have to extend it for another month and another month and another month until I've had people live with us for three years when we had an 18 month program because we could not find housing for them to go to. And so to me, right. it should be the criteria. If you're going to run a housing program, you can't you can't get people out of your house. Until right. for them to go, because that'll make you a squeaky wheel. Right. If, if you you'll be like, I can't receive any more because right. I'm holding on to this person because they got a voucher, but there's nowhere for them to go. Right. And, and that's not being discussed.
4: No, that is not being discussed with the board of supervisors and the housing authorities in all of California. Because if I could just give you an example three weeks ago. So there's 12 of us. Mm-hmm. And eight have been in the justice system and four are institutionalized. And my brother who was shot by the police a couple of years ago, and I was able to get him out um, of jail for being arrested for resisting arrest after he was in a car accident. Wow. And so um, when he got out and he went into transitional housing in Stockton, mm-hmm. he went to court and they removed his tail. They cut off his probation. He became homeless in that moment. Mm-hmm. So then he couldn't go back to the housing because he's not on probation. So like, well, good luck. How does that give somebody a new beginning? No, that's
3: just, it's not, it's not going to work.
4: So he was homeless on the street and then I had to go pick him up. Then I had to use my resources from my family to get my brother into a secure place. Yeah. And so it, it just, I think that we need to reevaluate the transitional housings that we have. Yeah. And because it's not. I feel like it preys on these people re-entering our jails yeah, because that is the end result when they have nowhere to go is then they reoffend to get themselves back, sometimes intentionally, just so they can get back into some form of housing, even if it's in custody. Well, and I think we
3: need to get to some smart goals because we are not, I mean, wh- shouldn't we be measuring recidivism as an indicator yes. of a, of a- <laughs> of a successful system. Shouldn't we be measuring not just one thing that we we got to do is we we created rapid rehousing, which gets people right. in place for, for, and we can say, we can say, you know, safely housed. Uh, let's look at them after, after, month, after 12 months. Let's look at them after they've, I want to see data that shows me that they were in an economically sustainable Position that allowed them to maintain that rent after
4: twelve months, you speak in my language yeah, there's not a lot of places for women, yeah, and what you know it's the toughest to find housing for women, yeah,
3: it's you, tough, you know why because we we're, we're 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 tough we we what once we've been traumatized, we are very hard to care for, mm-hmm. and um, I could tell you housing women have been the has the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. And I wouldn't trade it not for a second because when we get well and we get right, woo, it's unstoppable. Awesome. Yes.
4: Unstoppable.
3: Yes. But getting there, it's not for the faint of heart. And so you're going to get all <laughs> kinds of, okay? You're going to get all oh, kinds yeah. of,
4: Girl, why'd you steal my lipstick? You've been in my shoes. You looked at me sideways. You know, you get all kinds. I'm telling you, I just had a call with one who said today she's like, "I'm sorry, Ms. Shea, but I had to put my hands on her." And I was like, "You had to put your hands on her." She's like, "Yeah, they moved me from the other dorm." And I was just like, "Okay, let's 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 walk this back." Yeah. Where are you now? Yeah. I'm in, I'm in this I'm in this dorm. I was like, "But where do you want to be in that dorm?" Yeah, the only thing you control. And she's like, my response. My response. I said, right. because mm-hmm. that's the only thing you control. Her being mad at you, or saying things. You're the one that lost. Now you moved. Your programming that have been canceled. You're not going to be able to come to my class. Yeah. Because you're in a different dorm now. And then she's like, Okay, I'm gonna tell them I'm sorry. I'm gonna go in there. And I was like. <laughs> That's that's the point. Right. Is. Yeah. But they don't know these things if they haven't been raised this way. No, they don't have soft skills or personal skills that help them be able to navigate, you know, the the conflicts and, un, you know, uncomfortable situations. So I think that's something we have to teach them.
3: Yeah. And we have to make this is a going back to your four yeah. point strategy. We have to make us, uh, the community understand this isn't just a quick check in the box here. This is an investment and you do it That's right. because you care.
4: That's right. right.
3: Because you care. You got to do this. This is a love piece of work. This is not going to be easy. So, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick uh, break. We're going to come back and just share with the listening audience how they can get in touch with you and stay yeah. on you know, track everything that you're doing and uh, and so we'll be right back and thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com don't go away love never fails radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors
5: this is dr meluna fauch i am honored to serve on the advisory board of love never fails where each voice matters as lives are restored thank you for your support let's face it you are making a pitch for something every day Your verbal communication skills are the key to your professional and personal success. My company, Pitch Perfect Presentations, trains executives, management teams, and startups in delivering consistent, effective, engaging presentations to today's diverse audiences to rev up sales, attract clients and fans, and secure funding. Visit PitchPerfectPresentations.com to schedule your complimentary strategy call with me today. That's PitchPerfectPresentations.com, PitchPerfectPresentations.com.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We've just been having a great conversation with Shay. Thank you for being on the show. How can people get in touch with you or
4: follow your work? Yeah, so um, I've never been real structured in how I did this, right? I mean, I I too was trying to figure out how I was going to maintain connections, but you can always follow me on IG and that's Instagram. And it's just at my name, Shay, S-H-A-Y. My last name is Franco, F-R-A-N-C-O. C L A U S E N Claussen, so Shea Franco Claussen, and um, that's my website too. It's just Um, I work alongside a lot of this work that I do um, with my friend Porsche Taylor, who has an organization, Prison from Inside Out, and she does a lot of this work with me in facilitation. And I and I hope that uh, Love Never Fails also is one of those that we can really be in this sisterhood of how to address these. Um, the needs of women and men in our community, but I, I both mostly do the facilitation and creating curriculum on my own. And I partner with organizations who I can then hand this work off or who, who the, you know, the professionals doing this work. Um, so I'm sort of like a navigator like the connector, making sure that people get connected to the right people and that they get the support they need.
3: Nice. Beautiful. And I also follow her on LinkedIn and she's always posting a lot of fun stuff there too. Oh yeah,
4: I'm on LinkedIn too.
3: Yeah, (laughs) another good place. All right, cool. Well, just a few things about uh, just how to keep in touch with us, things that we're doing. I want to remind you that we are doing a screening of the new movie documentary on sex buying called Buying Her. And that will be in, in San Francisco at the uh, uh, the rec- or at the Metreon AMC Metreon, um, and it'll be from seven to nine on uh, uh, April the twelfth. And so please come out. We'll have a whole panel, including um, a, a previous sex buyer is going to share some of his motivations and how he has um, sort of uh, moved into a, a different direction and to a direction of advocacy for people to. Um, do something different. And so you'll definitely, you don't want to miss this. I will also be out there and um, you'll hear from survivor leaders, but the documentary is remarkable. You you will not regret doing that. Oh. Um, uh, check that out um, again on, uh, that is on the uh, 12th of April. And then I'll be up in Sacramento the next day on the 13th of April, seven to nine again, at the um, at the Regal Natoma and seven and nine, Um, you'll wanna come a a little bit early and then uh, we'll follow. It's a one hour documentary and a one hour um, panel. So definitely uh, join us there. Also wanna invite you uh, to save the date for a couple of uh, things that we have coming up. We are planning to uh, save the date, it's a while out, but uh, July the uh, 22nd, we're going to have an outreach conference and we are still securing our venue but we'd love for you to just save that day we're going to teach people how to do street outreach we think that is a super important thing also many of you know that i am the um chair uh now of the Oakland's Violence Prevention Coalition and we have a couple of things coming up uh, mini summit on um on april the 22nd from 10 to 2 p.m. at at Liberty School there in um our sorry lighthouse in uh, in Oakland, if you're interested, you can email me at vanessa at loveneverfailsus dot We'd love to have you if you're a CBO that wants to attend to help shape the citywide. Peace summit that we're putting on on uh, June the 24th from 10 to uh, 10 to 4 p.m. and that will be at Laney College. So please uh, reach out to me if you'd like to get involved in this. We'd love to get you engaged in addressing issues uh, such as gun violence, such such as gender-based violence, such as youth and family systems violence. Um, all right. Well, those are some of the things I wanted to just share out with you. Again, I thank you so much, Shay, for being here today. We appreciate Thank you. It. Yeah. Uh, we love, love, uh, love you, love your show, and uh, hope that you keep us abreast of everything that you're doing. And then, of course, um, for those of you who are listening, maybe for the first time or you listen every week, but I know you're waiting. You're waiting for me to say it. If you don't know it or you haven't heard it before, always remember that you are loved.